Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24:14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Welcome to another episode of Resiliency. Before we jump into our interview with local physician Burrett Hess, I want to apologize to you all for the terrible sound quality. At the last minute, my mic wouldn't work correctly and we had to record on my iPhone using voice memo. If it wasn't for the quality of the content of our interview with Burrett, we would have gone another route. So thanks for bearing with us. And here's another episode of Resiliency. Well, listeners, we're so delighted today to have our friend, Dr. Burrett Hess, here in Waco at the Family Practice Center uh, with us. Um, Burrett, we, as we've been talking before the, the interview today, you know, we've invited you to be a part of the resiliency conversation because you have been so involved in missions and with missionaries uh, all through the years, and you have such a deep intimate walk with Jesus and you're such an excellent physician and I've seen you develop I think develop yourself <clears throat> even in the area of understanding about more about mental health even as you're uh, uh, a physician you know for the um, the poor marginalized people here in Waco so we just really value your voice in the conversation and we value you so I've done a slight bit of intro there, but why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners today? Sure. Thanks, Steve. Um, and uh, one bit of update to that is that uh, we're in a Waco Family Medicine um, at, uh, at uh, the health center, so we're excited about that name change. Yeah, so um, I'm Barrett Hess. Uh, I'm a family physician. Um, I... Uh, I'm a Baylor graduate, so I, I know Waco pretty well, graduated in 95, um, and have uh, been, by the grace of God, in, involved in, in Antioch circles um, since 1990 when I came to Baylor as a freshman. Um, had the privilege of having a brother and sister-in-law who served overseas for approximately 17 years in the Middle East. Um, my wife was born and raised in West Africa. Um, daughter of a church planter um, who uh, did a lot of community development work as well as um, planting churches and seeing a people movement uh, initiated there uh, in Togo. Um, I've had the privilege of serving as a regional medical director over the years and have um, sort of fallen into doing a lot of mental health care um, for folks who have returned from the field both under duress and just as a sort of a natural closure of, of the process of, of being involved in, in whatever work they have been doing. So um, have uh, really um, have tried to learn about those circumstances and, and what's most helpful uh, for folks in those kinds of contexts. Uh, I'm a family physician, so I, I don't really specialize in anything particular. I have a broad general training um, in medicine and care for people from birth to death. Uh, and everywhere in between. Uh, I also happen to be the Associate Program Director at our Family Medicine Residency Program. So that's a little bit about me and 
Awesome. One of the things you mentioned a minute ago was uh, your regional medical director, and I want to just kind of tease that out right now because um, we have a lot of our listeners to resiliency aren't a part of our organization, the Antioch Movement of, of uh, Church Planting. So just wanted to mention um, that one of the ways that we try to uh, cover our missionaries well as we, that we send out is we've asked doctors like Burrett that are a part of, of either our congregation or just the the um, the church, the body of Christ in Waco to really just be kind of a doctor on call for our missionaries that are all over the planet. Mm-hmm. And they in the field have Dr. Hesses and other doctors email addresses, their WhatsApp number, their iMessage, whatever, and they can actually get in touch with these doctors in the case of an emergency uh, that they may need emergency consultation or for the sake of a second opinion and those type of things. I know you could say a whole lot more about what you've done through the years, but but uh, for those, those people, field workers listening to this episode, I wanted to just put that bug in your ear as an idea for a way that we here at Antioch Ministries International in Waco tried to once again just try to build out a, a, a more robust system of care for our missionaries. So I'm very thankful for uh, our predecessors in mine in member care and in directing missions here at Antioch to have uh, had the wisdom and the wherewithal to know to do that. Um, well, Bert, you, as we kind of asked you, you know, what you felt like your sweet spot contribution might be to the conversation, you really thought, uh, as we, as Silas and I know you to be a very brilliant thinker, you thought in terms of sort of pre-field resiliency practices, on-the-field resiliency practices, and also, uh, like you mentioned a moment ago, post-field or once people return some resiliency practices. So why don't we start at the very beginning and why don't you just share with us some of the things that you've learned, realized, uh, and, and shared with others through the years that are great pre-field resiliency practices. Okay. Um, I think that, Steve, that pre-field resiliency has a lot to do with how well you as an individual understand who you are and how God has made you to be. Um, I'm trying to figure out where to start on this. It's like trying to cut a pie, I suppose. But... um, so I, I think that in medicine we talk about taking a full history and when we when we take a history from a patient, especially at the beginning of the doctor-patient relationship, we're really wanting to understand who the person is, where they've come from, not just geographically, but also um, from the standpoint of who their family is, um, what the specific physical challenges, disease challenges that have been, that have characterized the family have been, um, what their social background has been, we're, we're, we're realizing more and more that um, things like adverse childhood experiences, uh, which could include divorce, trauma of various kinds, um, this, what we call social determinants of health, the context that a person was raised in, the resources that they had around them to facilitate their own personal flourishing, whether that means that they could or could not access health care growing up, they could or could not access um, quality education, they may or may not have been able to access good healthy food 
Uh, they may or may not have had access to green spaces. All of those factors play into creating the person who's sitting in front of me in the exam room. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the physical body that's in front of me. There are emotions, there are, um, there are psychological components to that, there are spiritual components to that, and really trying to understand those and, and, and get at least some characterization of what all of those pieces are and how they might intersect with one another, play off of each other to produce the whole person that's sitting in front of me in the chair there. Um, and so being thoughtful about those things and being honest about those things, even though that can be a place of pain for mm -hmm. a lot of people, especially if there's trauma in the past, um, and, and understanding particularly the disease processes that may come into play in a person's life, whether they've got three or four family members with diabetes, they've got three or four family members with mental health concerns, say in the area of addiction or depression or maybe bipolar disorder, um, and being mindful that whether we like it or not, uh, those things have the potential if they haven't already impacted us as individuals too, they, they may impact us in the future as we age, as we experience uh, stresses, changes, challenges, transitions uh, in life. And I, I think particularly for Christians, and I don't, I, I, I feel like there's a stigma often associated with saying, hey, I've got this in my background. Mm -hmm. um, you know, growing up, people worried about things like curses in their family curses, or for that matter, they, they were raised in a theological context that really placed maybe a little bit of an overemphasis on words that were used, so people felt that if somehow they gave name to or gave um, uh, to these kinds of situations, that somehow they were invoking these kinds of mm -hmm. things in their own lives. Mm -hmm. Um, in ways that probably were a little bit overstated and unhealthy. So you, you'd have people that would say, well, um, my dad was bipolar, but I'm not going to claim that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and so unfortunately, there was already a component of denial that was built into um, sort of their DNA and the way that they approached life and the way that they thought about themselves and the way that they interacted with others. And so that unfortunately creates... Um, barriers to acknowledging the potential risks that are there as well as um, it creates barriers to being able to care well for yourself as well because if you say to yourself for example um, if you have a family history of bipolar disorder um, and one of the things we know that can trigger mania is fatigue and lack of sleep so um, somebody's a real go-getter they work hard um, they're real performance oriented, but they've got bipolar in their background and they engage in a long-term practice of poor sleep hygiene, um, chronic fatigue because they're always up and going and then suddenly they, be, they, they tip over into a manic phase. Um, it can be very disconcerting for them because they haven't been willing to acknowledge and to attend to the risks that, that life brought them. Um, and that's that's not a reflection at all on the goodness of God or on the grace and mercy of God. It's just that um, that we all have Psalm 16 says the boundaries of fond to me in pleasant places. We all have limits. We all have 
um, we all have the way, ways that we're made and ways that, that God designed us to be and to live in this world and and, um, and it's helpful to acknowledge where those are and those are there for a good reason and when we embrace those and lean into those boundaries rather than trying to live on top of them or maybe supersede them then just generally speaking life tends to go better mm-hmm. than it does um, if we don't there's a lot there I know there is a lot there and I feel like I want to unpack that even more but um, let's say somebody does take the take the, their past history seriously and and the, or maybe the organization takes those kind of things seriously and and so we have somebody who's self-aware and moving into a now a, a, a career on the field mm-hmm. what are some ways then that that, that kind of that same type of um, self-awareness that same type of resiliency practice can play out in a healthy way when you're on the field yeah so I, th- I think part of that style is maybe even thinking about the context that you're going to before you go to it mm-hmm. um, I think if um, for example if you're prone to depression what are you going to do if you're if you're going say to a context where there's not a lot of natural light mm-hmm. For example, I mean, Finland or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if you go to the Nordic countries, or maybe you're going to a context that's very urban and high rises are sort of the norm for where you're going to live. Um, how, what do you do to accommodate yourself or to accommodate for that context? Um, I think you really want to have external confirmation that that's where you're called. Mm. And then I think if that external confirmation is there, because I've seen people that, you know, they've decided that they're called to, to X, Y, or Z context, and nobody's going to change their mind about that. And that's a, that's really a recipe for disaster if you're not listening to and, and, and knit into a, a group around you, an accountable group around you that you trust, and who know you well enough to be able to give you guidance about who you are and what, what choices that you're making may or may not be healthy and life-giving for you and for your family. Um, so I think you've got to be proactive in thinking about ways that that you can adapt to the circumstances that you're called to. So, for example, if you're going to go to a Nordic country and you have a history of depression or you're already dealing with depression, maybe you buy a light box and you take it with you. That's because we know that, that light is one of the things um, that can help um, reduce uh, the incidence of depression or mitigate or ameliorate some of the symptoms of depression, just for example. Um, you know, there are other basic uh, disciplines that are very helpful in terms of allaying mental health concerns as well. Exercise is a big one. We, we're, we're fond of saying in medicine that exercise is medicine. It's the least expensive prescription we can give somebody. I mean, maybe you just got to buy a good pair of running shoes and some running shorts and a top. But good, solid aerobic exercise five days a week. 30 to 40 minutes at a time um, will go a long way towards mitigating or ameliorating symptoms of depression, anxiety. Um, It will also help with metabolic disease, which again can play back into mental health uh, issues. It will reduce your risks for cardiovascular disease um, down the road. You'll have improved weight control. Um, So um, 
exercise is just one very practical way to uh, to ameliorate a lot of these concerns. But then, what if you're going to a high-rise context? You're going to live in a high-rise, and you don't really have an easy way to exercise. What do you do about that? And that's where you've got to be creative, I think, and and know the circumstances that you're going to before you get there, so that you can adapt. Maybe it means that there that you buy a membership to a local gym if that's an option. If that's not an option, um, maybe you find an exercise uh, a piece of exercise equipment that you can bring with you. It's not too bulky or, and you won't occupy too much space, but that will allow you to, to get the exercise that you need in the way that you need in that context. Um, one thing that we haven't really touched on is personality testing, mm -hmm. and I think that can be really helpful as well. Um, you know, there's Myers-Briggs, um, there's Strengths Finders, um, I know that there are some other ones out there. Uh, the Enneagram is one that has gained popularity in Christian circles in the last five or ten years. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a family where the Enneagram was sort of, it was assumed to be in the same zip code as Ouija boards and uh, <laughs> magic eight balls. Uh, but as I've read about it, um, I, I, I have come to the place of thinking that it can be a really helpful tool in terms of um, augmenting your understanding of who you are, um, and particularly if you read um, Ian Cron's book, The Road Back to You, one of the things that he focuses on in there is um, the, the sins that fire some of the motivations um, in those personalities, and, and being attuned to those things, um, I think can be very fruitful and helpful, not in a, not in a way of, not in, not in terms of building condemnation in it or anything like that, but just simply being aware Hey, I'm a I'm a six, so I'm going to be fired a lot of the time by anxiety or fear, um, and being able to be reflective and prayerful about how that underlying sin may be motivating you to make choices that are negative in terms of their impact on you, in terms of your negative on, uh, in terms of their impact on your family. Um, I think that's a really those are really fruitful places to to start and to reflect on, um, even pre-field, um, because then you can really you can plan at some level proactively for the context that you're going to, and be sure that you're aware of the the ways that your future context will challenge you um, in the in the areas that that you struggle. Um, and to prepare as best as you can for meeting those challenges honestly and transparently. And then again, making sure that you've got people around you that are aware, uh, again, of what those specific issues are for you. So again, that was kind of a ramble. I, I don't... No, that was good. That was really good. Just curious, Bert, if, um, if you, if examples come to mind, you don't have to mention names, but people that you've seen do this pre-field journey well, the journey of self-awareness, the journey of asking themselves important questions that prepare them uh, for for the road ahead yeah. into their new nation, and then those who kind of, you know, just sort of took things for granted and didn't, didn't weren't as thoughtful about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that well, I'm going to kind of cut, can I shoot down the middle there, Steve, because I think that 
my experience has a lot of times been more with thus far been with career missionaries right um who have gotten onto the field and then said whoa what am i dealing with why mm-hmm. am i dealing with this and <clears throat> it's the ones who are willing to say to be transparent and to be honest about the challenges that have come up that were unexpected and then to ask the why behind mm-hmm. what's happening and to to be humble mm-hmm. and to be seekers and to be learners um, those are the ones that even though they've run into challenges on the field have tended to have the most resiliency and have tended to last and been able to really see um, fruitfulness from the Holy Spirit in the work that they've done because they've been learners, because they've asked questions, because they've never stopped um, aspiring to be humble um, and to be teachable and to be transparent with others around them about their struggles and to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, if you go onto the field knowing that you don't know everything that you need to know and being willing to acknowledge that, I think that's a good, that's a general statement, but I think it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And being consistent about reminding yourself that I, I don't know what I need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's speculation and everything, but it seems to me in the work that I've done, the people who are on the other side of that spectrum, who might mm-hmm. be more inclined to uh, to resist being honest with himself and with, with us about what the challenges are, but a lot of the motivation comes from a place of shame. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true. And, um, and so getting at that in a loving way, and maybe even, um, and again, I think that's where if you're, can, if you know yourself, if you if you've done a variety, if you've done a self-assessment that includes your family history in terms of various disease processes, uh, mental health concerns, if you've, if you've accounted for the social history and been transparent about the social history in your past, which again can be super painful, um, especially if it's involved abuse or divorce um, and those kinds of things or addiction, um, it can be really, really hard to confront those things. But the reality is, is when we bring those into the light, Mm-hmm. on the front end, then God has a chance to bring his redemptive power to play, to bear on those circumstances. And there is no better recipe for flourishing mm-hmm. than if you're willing to do that. Um, and then I think, again, adding in um, personality testing, which, again, is, is not the end-all, be-all. It's, it's a helpful, it can be helpful, it can be um, problematic. Um, I've I've known people who benefited from um, personality testing, but then those who who took their personality test to the bank and said, well, my, my wife doesn't fit my personality, mm-hmm. so I'm ditching her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be problem- that's a that's deeply problematic as well. Mm-hmm. Before we turn the corner, is there anything else just kind of re- in the realm of pre-field resiliency practices that come to your mind that you would uh, want to share? I think that if you're, you want to develop the disciplines on the home front that you intend to use on the field. So if you're, for example, just, if you're not exercising when you're on the home front and when you're in the preparatory phase, what in the world is going to get you exercising when you get overseas? (laughs) You know, you you want to have those habits started here and have them be habits um, so that they're relatively easy to re-engage with when you get to your future context. 
Um, if you're not careful, if you're not accountable, um, if you're not exercising, if you're not eating well, you're sure on the front end of things, you're sure not going to do that on the back end of things. Right. So getting off the plane on your field, it, it's not, you're not suddenly magically the <laughs> perfect missionary then. No. No. Who's <laughs> yeah. going to pray and do all the things that they didn't do beforehand. Yeah, and I, I can remember in, in perspectives, we had a speaker named Mike Stroop, who's a faculty member at Truett, and he always said, if you didn't deal with your stuff on the front end, it would get magnified on the back end on the field, and a lot of times come back to each other in some pretty significant mm -hmm. ways. My phrase is, if it's a hairline crack on this side of the ocean, it's a fault line on that side. Yeah, and that's a, that's exactly right, and mm -hmm. I think we can all think of circumstances that we've seen where that's absolutely the case. Yeah. Well, and don't minimize those cracks. Be mindful of them. Yeah. Even Address when you, them. Even when you are transparent about them, just know that that in some, sometimes in some different ways those can come back from different. I think a lot of ways. a lot of people feel like they're they're afraid that those are going to become disqualifiers. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons that they stay kind of down low with them because they feel like that would disqualify them from ministry. Yeah. That's not really the case, is it? It, it shouldn't be. Um, there are some circumstances where, um, particularly with significant underlying mental health mm -hmm. issues, you probably will need to reassess and reevaluate. Yeah. But you know, I think I've, I've had friends who were gunning for the mission field. They've made every preparation they could, um, and then they went through psychological testing with whatever their organization was and. They had depression in their background, or they had something in their background that that really ended up being a strike against them, and they were told, "Well, you know, I, I don't think you can work with us." And, and I've seen people's hopes dashed, their sense of calling betrayed, um, and so I think we need a middle ground there. I think we need to be willing to acknowledge that God calls broken people, and we're all broken people. He calls broken people to the field in the U.S. or wherever they, wherever their sending country may be, he calls broken people overseas or across the border. Um, and I think if we can, if we can be as aware of those areas of brokenness going into the process, I think that people are going to be much more likely to be successful and to, and to flourish where they go now that they're not challenges. Yeah, if you don't mind praying a prayer of blessing and impartation for our yeah. listeners. Yeah. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to think and to reflect on who we are, who you've made us to be, um, and even for the challenges that um, come wrapped up in the persons that we are, um, and the persons that you made us to be. Lord, we acknowledge that all of us have those challenges, um, and we acknowledge that the boundaries have fallen to us in pleasant places. Um, and help us to see those not as limitations, but as gifts, and to embrace them, um, to work with them, to entrust them to you, to entrust them to faithful, um, faithful partners, wonderful comrades that you call us to walk with in ways that allow your grace to be more fully manifest in our lives, in the lives of our teams, in the lives of our families, in the lives of those who have called us 
to be ministers to, so that we can see uh, as fully as we possibly can this out of eternity, your kingdom come and your will be done in and through our lives, Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks, Brett. Yeah. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resilience. And so for now, I'm Silas West.